Okay, good evening. Welcome to Kingfisher's Live at Five on Sunday, 20th of June. And my name is Richard. Um, are you ready for this? Uh, the psalm says, As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? We're going to be considering God's word in Proverbs this evening, but let's pray uh, as we prepare ourselves to hear the word. Our God in heaven, we praise you that you are the rock. There is no rock other than you. There's no God besides you. Praise you that you are a shield to all who take refuge in you, that your word is flawless. So as we come to consider your word, would you give us a right humility and submission? And would you prove yourself again to be our shield as we seek to take refuge in you? Help us as we think about your word and to hear what you say and to respond in faith in our lives. Amen. How is your prayer life? It's a pretty horrible question, isn't it? We don't like to be asked that kind of thing. Um, quite hard to answer, really, isn't it? How is your prayer life? Important, though, that we ask it. And um, prayer is the prayer is, is the measure of a person, really, like nothing else. Now, what we believe, what we really believe, not just what we say we believe, but what we really believe is so often seen in the way that we pray. Uh, well, this evening we have um, a chap called Agur. He's going to help us think about prayer. We're in Proverbs chapter 30, uh, verses 1 to 9. And this is part two. Last week we looked at the first bit of this passage. This week we'll look at the second bit. Um, but let me read it for us. Proverbs chapter 30, starting at the beginning, says this. The sayings of Agur, son of Jacker, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary, God but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonour the name of my God. Agur. Agur's contribution to the book of Proverbs is to provide for us a testimony and a prayer. Uh, we don't know much about him. Um, but what Agur does in Proverbs is he, he provides something of a response to the wisdom project. Um, I, I think Agar is, is the only time in the book of Proverbs that we hear the voice of a student instead of a teacher. The last time we looked at his testimony, verses one to six, his testimony is really about how we can know anything. 
he guides us through five steps in that process. The first one is we confess we cannot work it out by ourselves. Secondly, we confess we don't know everything so we can be sure of nothing. Thirdly, we confess that the one who does know all things is the Lord. He can speak to us with authority. And step four, we confess that we are his children. Step five, we humbly trust ourselves to the word of God. That's what we looked at last week. But we've got to ask, what kind of so what? And what does it look like to, to believe those things on a Monday morning? How does a kind of this faith-filled submission that Agur describes, how does it play out day to day? Well, Agur helps us with this, and, and, and he, he helps us by doing something we haven't seen in Proverbs. Agur prays. And we're going to think today about Agur's prayer. Look with me at verse seven. Uh, two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. And here we have Agar, this man with a very brief window into his life, but he, he's reached a place of faith. He trusts himself to the revealed will of God. He's not relying on his own understanding. In all his ways, he's acknowledging him and he prays. He, and as he prays in verse seven, he's, he's praying as a dying man, praying in light of his own mortality, in light of his end. And Agar asks the Lord two things. And these things, I think, are really practical for us. And let's look at his requests, his two requests. His first request, keep falsehood and lies far from me. These um, prayer requests kind of apply the testimony. You see, back in verse six, he said, do not add to his words. He was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter four. See, the word of God is flawless. The word of God is sufficient. So the word of God is to be received and not altered or revised. So Agur now prays, keep false words away from me. Verse six, do not add to his words. So he prays, keep false words away from me. Agur is, is really aware of the danger that he might turn from the word of God and start believing a lie. In verse five, he said, God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Agur, we have this man in, in Agur who is approaching his own death and he knows his, his only hope for protection in death is to be hidden behind the shield of the Lord. And when he faces that final enemy, there is nothing else that can protect him. Now we, we with the benefit of the fullness of revelation, we now know that that shield is Jesus Christ. We now know with our lives hidden in Christ, we can say to death, where is your sting? Christ has hold of me. Death cannot own me. And when we take refuge in God through Christ, we have a sure protection that will take us through death and into life beyond. And then we have Agur as this Old Testament believer, has an Old Testament believing sense of that. And he also knows that he is susceptible to deception. That he might believe false words. He might be drawn to think that there is a refuge other than the Lord. He might start to build his own shield. So he prays, keep falsehood and lies far from me. When our Lord Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil attacked him with temptation, that the attack was always on the reliability of God's word. 
their attack was always to turn away from the flawless word of God into false words. When our Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, he said, you should pray like this. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The Agur's prayer is a prayer we need to pray every day. Because every day you swim in a tide of a thousand lies. Do you know that? The the TV lies to you. The newspapers lie to you. Your friends and your neighbours, they lie to you. Your history lies to you. Above everything else, your own heart is deceptive and it lies to you. And all the lies that come at you are just variations on one theme. These lies say you don't need to trust Jesus Christ with everything. These lies say there is safety and hope and happiness apart from Jesus. These lies say you can manage with a little less Jesus. And these lies, they're subtle and they're cunning and we're not strong enough to stand against them. So with Ago, we must keep asking, keep falsehood and lies far from me. And Jesus says the same when you pray, you should ask for this. Keep me from temptation. And we pray this because we seek to commit all our ways to the Lord. And we recognize our own vulnerability. And so working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we pray, lead us not into temptation. As we go through the day, uh, as you turn on the TV, Lord, lead me not into temptation. As you go out to the shops, Lord, please will you keep lies from me. I'm not strong enough to avoid getting sucked into a Christless world. So, Lord, you must hold me fast. Agus' first prayer request is a prayer not to fall away. I think also it's a prayer for assurance. He's got that promise from God's word in verse 5 from the psalm. God is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And one of the ways we might be tempted to falsify that word is to question whether that shield is sufficient. Especially this is so when we consider our own sin. There may be a particular sin that just haunts us. Maybe repeated sin over and over and over again. We begin to wonder if God's protection will really go as deep as we think. We start to have that, that gnawing question. Will God really forgive me again? It's always personal, that, isn't it? You know, we, we, we may not doubt God's forgiveness of others, but we feel our own unworthiness and, and we get swallowed up in shame and we can't forgive ourselves. And slowly we begin to think maybe, maybe the refuge of the Lord is not quite enough to cover my sin. And yet the word of God is flawless. It, it doesn't say he is a shield to those who aren't so bad. It doesn't say he's a shield to those who deserve it. It doesn't say he's a shield to those who can can make it up to him and pay their way. No, it says he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And all of our sins are laid on Jesus and he makes for us a complete, perfect, enduring satisfaction through his death. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is a, a complete, sufficient, lasting faithful shield to those who take refuge in him and so Agur prays don't let me doubt the sufficiency of your salvation he prays it with his own death approaching keep falsehood far from me anything that would make me doubt the strength of your saving mercies to carry me through keep those lies away Agur's first request 
is a prayer not to fall away and a prayer for assurance. He asks two things of the Lord. His second request also in verse eight, give me neither poverty nor riches. Is that how you pray? Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's the Goldilocks prayer, isn't it? Not too much, not too little, but just what's right. I think this second request uh, kind of continues. It, it develops the first one. You see, Agar's testimony that he's given is that he must depend on the Lord for everything. So he, he prays that he won't get drawn away from God's word. And now he prays about the circumstances in his life. In the the circumstances of life, there would be nothing that would lead him away from dependence on the flawless word of God. Our Lord Jesus told a parable about sower. You will know. And different responses to the word of God. And in the parable, some of the seed falls on thorny ground. And Jesus says that this refers to someone who hears the word. But the word has no saving benefit in their life because the worries of this life. And the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is really what Agur's second request prays against. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither worries nor wealth. Because they choke the word. But what does it actually mean? this, This second request, how do you pray it about kind of real everyday situations? Uh, when I was preparing this passage last time, um, I decided that I needed to have two goes at it. And I think I said last week how I went for a run. And, and uh, on my run, I was thinking, uh, we've got Agar's prayer, neither poverty nor riches. How do I apply that just to, to every ordinary day stuff? How do I apply it to this run? I'm, I'm on a run. How do I pray Agar's prayer about my run? Now, what does it mean? Um, don't give me poverty nor riches in this exercise. Now, if I prayed that, what, what would I actually be asking for? This is my thought process. What is um, kind of too little when it comes to running or what is too much? Now, for me, I, I hate running. And so, so maybe kind of like a, a, a rich run is to just have a very short run because that would be quite nice. Or, or maybe you know, maybe a, a rich run is, is where I kind of run too much and I have too much of it. I overdo it. And what does it mean? You know, this this request is built for the ordinary stuff of life. It's to be prayed over everything. I think material circumstances, physical circumstances, our emotional situation, our spiritual state. Prayer that we don't have too much or too little. But what does it mean? Well, well let's have a look. The, the end of verse eight adds a bit of clarity, doesn't it? Um, but give me only my daily bread. I literally assign to me the bread of my portion. Of course, it's what Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? Give us today our daily bread. But I think what, what Agar helps us with is, is he brings out something into focus that isn't quite in focus in the Lord's Prayer. You know, the Lord's Prayer is, is brilliant. It's brilliantly corporate. We, we pray the Lord's Prayer together for one another. We pray it for our church. We pray it for other churches, for Christians brothers and sisters all over the world we pray give today our daily bread what what agar does though is he focuses very much on the personal aspect he says give me my portion my daily bread what i need because what i need 
is not necessarily the same as what the next person needs. The, the thing that is good for me may not be good for the next person. The thing that is harmful for me may not be harmful for the next person. What Agur's seeking from the Lord is what is needful for him. And I think when we pray, give me neither poverty nor riches, they're not objective quantities. It's not the same for everyone. It's give me only my daily bread, a subjective amount. We're praying that the Lord will give what we need, not more, not less, but what's right for me on this day. And then I explains a little bit more into verse nine. Think about the goal of this prayer. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Let's see um, three more things about this prayer. First one, I think we, we have to see here that this prayer is, is just built on a huge view of God's sovereignty. Now, if I want fuel for my car, I go to the petrol station. Why do I go there? Because that's where fuel is kept and where it's dispensed. I don't go to the pharmacy and ask for diesel. Now, why do I do that? Because they haven't got it. You don't ask for things from places where they don't have it. And why does Agar ask God to give neither poverty nor riches? It's because, as we saw last week, he trusts that God is the great I am. Whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak, who has established the ends of the earth, the sovereign potentate over all creation. Now, Agar will know that there are many causes in life for poverty and riches. All kinds of things can be brought in as causes kind of natural causes, good harvests, famines, wars, economic downturns, sickness, good kind of training and experience and wise investments, all these kind of things, so many different things affect whether or not a person has much or little. But what Aga sees is that above that, beyond that, there is a God, there is God Almighty who advances his purposes in the turning of every detail. You can't pray this prayer. You can't pray this prayer for neither poverty nor riches without faith in God's sovereignty. We go to the God who provides these things. Now, this prayer is built on a huge view of God's sovereignty. Secondly, it is built on a comforting view of God's providence. Providence is God's sovereignty purposed for good. One of the Reformation confessions, the Belgic confession puts it like this. It says, we believe that this good God, after he created all things, did not abandon them to chance or fortune, but leads and governs them according to his holy will in such a way that nothing happens in this world without his orderly arrangement. This doctrine gives an unspeakable comfort since it teaches us that nothing can happen to us by chance, but only by the arrangement of our gracious heavenly father. He watches over us with fatherly care, keeping all creatures under his control so that not one of the hairs on our heads, for they are all numbered, nor even a little bird can fall to the ground without the will of our father. You remember Agur's testimony. What is his name? The Lord Almighty. And what is the name of his son? And what we saw last week is that the question of knowing is answered with relationship. And our relationship to God 
is made through Jesus Christ to be a relationship of sonship. We know God Almighty as our Heavenly Father. So as Jesus taught us to pray, our Father in heaven. And we pray to the sovereign who is also our loving father. And so when we pray for our portion, we pray for not too much or not too little, but what is just right. But we we pray that not really knowing what just right is for us. No, what we think is too little in the perfect purposes of our heavenly father may be what is just needed. What we think is too much, if it's given by him, we must trust it is right. This prayer is built on a huge view of God's sovereignty, on a comforting view of God's providence. And thirdly, this prayer aims at the glory of God. Listen again to Agur's concern. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. You see, Agur's concern here, his, his, his concern is that if he is given riches, he might be hardened by having. But like the Israelites entering Canaan who say, it's by my strength that I've gained these things. And they forget that strength came from God. Agur fears that if he fears having so much that he relies on the stuff and fails to rely on the Lord. The question he fears is to be asking, who is the Lord? That's the question of Pharaoh when Moses came demanding the release of the Lord's people. Pharaoh said, who is this Lord? I don't know him. He's he's nothing to me. This is a question that flies in the face of God's purpose for all creation. Who is the Lord? There's no knowledge of the Lord. Now Habakkuk 3 states God's purpose for all creation like this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So when pride says, who is this Lord? When the heart hardened by prosperity dismisses the significance of the Lord, this question, who is the Lord? It stands opposed to God's great purpose in all the world, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill everything. And yet, on the other hand, Agur's concern is that if he's given poverty, he may be hardened by lacking. Have this temptation to steal, a temptation that is to take matters into his own hands and sin. And and the problem with that is, is not that he's poor, not the personal guilt associated with that sin. The problem is that Agur is besotted with God's glory. What's the problem? He might dishonor the name of his God. Agur fears that his actions might discredit the name of his dear saviour. Now, Agur's prayer for neither poverty nor riches is a prayer that the circumstances of his life will give glory to God. This is a hallowed be your name prayer. Now, Agur's prayer is for God to give exactly what is needed. So the glory goes to God. Not too much because Agur is sensitive to the danger of pride, of self-glory. And his longing is for God's glory. But not too little, because Agur is sensitive to the danger of sinfully taking matters into his own hand, another form of self-reliance, and his longing is for God's glory. Well, what then might it mean for us to pray like this? Now, what might it mean? We pray, Lord, don't give me too much or too little, but give me exactly what you know to be best and needed, so the glory goes to you. As I was running, 
um, and I was thinking this through. My, my my thoughts went to this um this this old pastor that I used to know. This a wonderfully kind of godly, gospel-hearted man. And I was part of a conversation with him when he was introduced to another church leader, the first time that they'd met. And, and this other guy asked him about his church and said, now, "How big is your church?" And the old pastor said, "Well." The Lord has, the Lord has blessed us. And, and the other guy asked again, oh yeah, great, but no, kind of how many people attend? And the old pastor said, the Lord has blessed us. We are, we're very thankful. And the other guy kept on asking, but, but the old pastor refused to say anything about the numbers of people at his church. And the conversation got quite silly, really. Um, but I wonder what he was trying to do was to guard against the pride of talking about numbers. And, and I've often thought about that conversation and thought about how kind of ridiculous it was. And, and yet, as I was running, I was thinking, yes, but I don't know that pastor's heart. Now, I don't know what struggles he's guarding against. I don't know that temptation to define his value through the success or otherwise of his ministry. And, and as I kind of thought on that, it made me begin to wonder now, why, why has God not given revival to little Paxton? Now, why don't we see the Spirit sweeping through our communities and countless multitudes turning to Jesus Christ? Now, there are many reasons, and really we don't know, but I wondered, might it be? Might it be because of the pride of your pastor? Now, your pastor who might see Kingfisher Church overflowing with new converts and say, it is by my might and not the Lord's. Might I snatch the glory for myself and in effect be saying, who is the Lord? What might it mean for us to pray like this? Lord, don't give me too much or too little. Give me exactly what you know to be best and needed so the glory goes to you. We should pray this. We should pray this over our over our material resources. Now, when we look at our finances, we should pray this over our over our, when we review our statements, when we set our budgets, when we decide and plan how much or how little we will have. We should be praying, Lord, don't give me too much. Don't, don't let me have so much money that I forget how much I need you for every breath. And if I seem to have more than I need, let me trust that you've given it so that I may glorify your name and not live as though I didn't need you. But Lord, don't give me too little. Don't let me have so little money that I forget your loving care and start to grumble against you. But help me to trust, trust that you give and you take and in all things your name is to be glorified. What might it mean for us to pray like this? Lord, don't give me too much or too little, but give me exactly what you know to be best and needed so that the glory goes to you. We should pray over our time resources. Don't give me too much or too little, but let me trust that what you give is what is needed for your glory. And yet there are some seasons when our hearts will protest and our hearts will say, but I don't I don't have enough time to do what I need to do. And we should tell our hearts that's fine. Because the Lord knows you don't need to do what you think you need to do. The trust, trust what is done and what is undone to him. Thank him that things undone remind you that you rely on him and not yourself. Uh, and then in other seasons, our hearts protest and say, I have too much time and I don't know what to do with it. 
Or perhaps like the children of Israel in the wilderness, the Lord is stretching your trust in him. Will you commit all your ways to him, seek from him how to use your time for his purposes? Or will you use the time he gives for pursuits that dishonour his name? And what might it mean for us to pray like this? Lord, don't give me too much or too little, but give me exactly what you know to be best and needed so that the glory goes to you. We should pray this over our abilities and our giftedness. Lord, don't make me too accomplished. Lord, don't make it too straightforward because I know my heart and I will quickly rely on myself. But also, Lord, don't make me too inept because I know my heart and I will too quickly despair. Give me my portion of ability and let me use it for your glory. Now, what might it mean for us to pray like this? Lord, don't give me too much or too little, but give me exactly what you know to be best and needed so the glory goes to you. We should pray over our comforts. Don't give me too much comfort in this life or I will forget that my home is in heaven and this is a pilgrimage here. But Lord, don't give me too little comfort or I might lose heart. This is a prayer to work out over all the various circumstances of our lives. And and the reason really, that the reason we can ask God to give neither too much or too little, neither poverty nor riches, the grounding of it is that we cannot pray these things about Jesus Christ. God has already given to us in Christ every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we already have all that we need. In him, we have access to grace without measure and love without limit. It's all been bestowed on us in Jesus Christ. And so perhaps then this prayer is aiming at that secret of contentment that Paul speaks about in Philippians. And we looked at it in home groups this week. When he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Why? Because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, don't give me too much or too little, but give me exactly what you know to be best and needed so that the glory goes to you. Amen. Thanks for being with us this evening, live at five. Uh, I think we're probably continuing in Proverbs next week. Uh, We're nearly there, probably just a couple more sessions before we get to the end of the book. But may the Lord bless you in this week ahead. Good evening.